you guys can have a seat for a second. I just want to share with you something. Um, as we were worshiping, God just really pressed on my heart. I could just feel his presence in this place. And it was like I could hear him saying, come home. Come home to me. Wherever you've wandered, wherever you've gone, wherever you have think is too far, it's not too far. And I just feel like God is calling us home today, not just in the faith, first and foremost, but also to community. He's calling us home and the other thing that really stuck with me today was just that he sees you. And I don't know who that's for this morning, but he just wants you to know that he sees you. He has seen every tear that you've cried. He has seen every heartbreak that you've experienced. He sees you, and none of those tears are wasted. And none of that heartbreak is wasted this morning. So I just want to encourage you, one, to come home don't think you've gone too far because that's a lie from the enemy. To get back to your community, get back to your faith, get back to the place where you know people care about you and love you. And three, that he sees you. And I just want to encourage you as we listen to the word this morning, let's open our hearts to hear what God has wants to share with us through Pastor Anthony this morning. Church. Um, as uh, Ladina just shared, uh, my name is Anthony. I'm pastor here. And it is December 11th. It's Christmas time. How many of you have your shopping done? All, all done. How many of you don't have money to go shopping? <laughs> so, yeah, wherever you find yourself in that Merry Christmas, um, good representation of plaids and greens and reds and um, just really nice. Uh, I have a couple announcements for you real quick. Um, Elaine mentioned it, but I just want to reiterate. Um, today, we're having our on-ramp. We normally call it a brunch, but during this time where we're just having one Sunday morning service, we have on-ramp lunch right after this service. Um, I typically don't lead that. Today, I am. I would love to have you join us. If you've never been to on-ramp brunch or lunch before, it's right after the service, downstairs, big classroom. There is lunch. Lasts about an hour, and... Um, Elaine will be doing this with me. we just like to tell you a little bit about our church, how you can get connected, involved, plugged in. Also, how you can be a part of our discipleship track that we started this last fall. And we're asking, too, if you've never served at Free Church before and you'd like to serve at some capacity, we ask that you come to an on-ramp lunch as well. And so um, if you have a friend that maybe you brought with you or someone that hasn't gone, you're free to come again. Um, I think I've, I'll just see if my friend Derek is here today. Derek Broughton, is he here? He's up to, oh, Derek. Derek used to come to the on-ramp brunch every single week for a free lunch, every single month. And so if you want to do that, we don't care. It's all right. Come eat with us. Derek, I want to personally invite you to come today. It's been a while, man. I miss you at those. So I'm glad he's here. Uh, so there's that. Um, Stephanie talked about Christmas Eve services, so no church on Christmas Sunday. But I want to mention real briefly New Year's Day. Um, on New Year's Day, we are not having church that Sunday morning because I know you will have all partied so hard the night before. And so we're having a service that Sunday night. So Sunday night at 6.30 at the Ike Box in downtown Salem. So if you have not been to our downtown location yet, come and join us at the Ike Box at 6.30. New Year's Day, it's going to be a night of worship. And um, Tim Warnock and I are working together on a New Year's message to encourage us for the coming year. 
And then the week after that, we'll get back to our normal rhythm of Sunday mornings and start a series on the church. And then super excited for the month of February, we're going to be starting a really great longer series on the book of Daniel. So if you like prophecy and history and and the Old Testament, we're going to be looking at Daniel. I'm very excited to be preaching through that particular series. So join us um, next couple of weeks. We started a series last week called um, Giving, specifically Christmas Giving 2022. And we talked about the idea of it being more blessed to give than to receive, and we discussed whether or not you like to give gifts or receive gifts, and some of you really love giving gifts, some of you really love receiving gifts, as you should. And so this is a season, and whether or not we actually give and receive gifts because of the birth of Christ, I don't really know. Um, I know we have all sorts of traditions that are all mixed and blended together for Christmas, and we just celebrate the birth of Jesus, and we enjoy some of the cultural things that we have to offer for the holidays. Um, I've seen a big emphasis this year on Krampus. Have you heard of that before? Um, I encourage you not to look that up, but if you, if you want a darker side of Christmas, there's Krampus. I even saw a house decorated with Krampus, and you know, it's, it's interesting stuff. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things. You might have some strange holiday traditions as well. So today we're going to wrap up this series, and I was trying to think of, like, Sometimes I'll try to think of some cultural reference to try to bring everybody together as a hook for the message. And I was going to read some song lyrics, and I was like, I don't know if this is good. Um, but I won't, I, I won't read them. They're actually a little, bit, they're a little bit more risque than I actually thought. This is a, a song that most people don't actually know the words to, and so you just kind of like mumble or speak in tongues to try and act like you know the words to this song. But when you get, everybody knows a little bit of the course. And I would say it's kind of like a bridge course. It's an unusual song. I'll read the first verse of this very spiritual song. And I'm concerned about the second line. But um, is this hit, that ice cold Michelle Pfeiffer, that white gold. You, you know the song? <laughs> this one for them hood girls. Is that right? Okay. Them good girls, straight masterpiece. And so, everybody, like, you know the dance. You know the clothing that the guys wear that sing it. It was in the Super Bowl. If, you don't, if you're, like, really disconnected, you probably saw it in the Super Bowl. But everybody knows um, the words to the song. That is, um, don't believe me. What? Oh, Pastor, I don't know the words. You know the words. <laughs> don't believe me. Just watch. Yeah. And I actually realized I, I misinterpreted those words for a couple years, and I was like, oh, don't believe me, just watch. What does that have to do with our message today? You'll find out. Uh, don't believe me, just watch. I want you to think about that, because that's actually what the verse we're going to focus on today is essentially that very thing. And so last week, again, opened up Christmas giving, and just a real quick recap of some things we touched on We just said everything we have is from God. Everything we have is God's. We are stewards of God's things. We are to take care of those things. We're to do good with those things, be faithful with those things, be obedient with those things. And what God allows us to possess, we use and invest and multiply those things into his kingdom and for his kingdom And we touched on the words of Jesus, where your treasure is, there will your heart be 
also. And so when you are faithful and when you see yourself as a steward, you will lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, and that is where your heart will be. When we see everything that we have as being from Jesus and belonging to Jesus, we will surrender anything he calls us to. We will use those things for his kingdom. We will follow Jesus, and our hearts will be with him in heaven. But if our treasure is laid up on earth, if we see our stuff as mine instead of his, then we won't be able to follow Jesus when he calls because our heart is not with him because we've laid up our heart in this world. And we wrapped up the idea last week that most of us won't be able to give Jesus everything if he asks us to do so because we're not giving him anything at all. So that's kind of the recap from last week. This big idea of stewardship. What does it mean to be a steward of something? And that is to take care of something for someone else that doesn't belong to you. How many of you, when you've watched other people's kids, you are way more concerned about their safety than your own kids? Because if something goes wrong, that's, that's on you. Or if you borrow someone else's car, you're like, you're extra careful with it because it's not your car and you don't have to be the one to tell them that you wrecked their car. How many of you have had someone wreck your car before? Uh, point fingers at who it was. Okay, so I never wrecked anybody's car but my own. But we're very, we, we watched my in-law's um, baby last night. My in-laws have a baby. Um, she is uh, two years old. They're, they're older to have a baby, but this baby is a chihuahua, and <laughs> I love my dogs, and I, I love my in-laws' dogs, but I want to make sure we take better care of my in-laws' baby dog than we take care of our own because it's not ours, and we don't have to be the one to say, hey, we, something went wrong while we were watching over your stuff, and so all of us are stewards of what God has allowed us to hold on to. So let's look at some thoughts for today. If you want to take notes, I'd encourage you to. We do have some notes in um, our app today as well. Here's some of the big ideas for today. You and I cannot live generously if we are not good stewards. We cannot live generously when we don't see our stuff as God's stuff, but we see it as our stuff. What I've learned in life is when you realize that everything is God's, it's easier to give stuff away when it's not yours. If it's God's stuff, it, it's simple to give it away. So, so where do we start? How do we start giving things away? What does God want us to do with our stuff? Well, there's a principle that God establishes right at the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 4. There's a natural law that God establishes of sowing and reaping. And, and we call this uh, first, best, rest, blessed. When you give God your first and your best, the rest of what you have, which is not yours to begin with, is blessed. If you are not willing to give God your first and your best, the rest of what you have lacks the blessing that God could place upon that. And I want to kind of ease your thinking for just a moment. We are going to talk about this concept of tithing today, and here's something we're not going to do. We're not going to ask you for money. Um, I'm also going to give you kind of the, one of the end statements of my message now. Uh, I don't believe that tithing is a direct command for the New Testament church and all explain that here in a minute. So 
put your mind at ease. We, we're not asking you to do anything. Just like I tell my kids not to play in the street, I don't do that because I don't want them to have fun. I do that because I want what's best for them. And God wants what's best for us. And so God's established some natural principles for us to follow that he's created so that we can experience his best, not because he wants us to experience lack, quite the opposite, actually. Not because he wants us to experience uh, wrath, but again, quite the opposite. First best, rest, bless. What God blesses you with, when you give your first and your best, you can then give all over again to God as an act of worship, as an act of trust, as an act of surrender, as an act of obedience, and as an act of stewardship. We can also then begin to give generously to others as we are led to give. And this idea, first, best, rest, bless, it is the training wheels. I, I alluded to this last week, but I really mean it. It is the training wheels for true generosity. Because if you aren't faithful with what you have right now, it's not likely that you will generously give to those in need. And it's not likely if you're not satisfied with what God's given you, you're not trusting him with your first and your best, you're probably never going to be satisfied with what you have. Because you always see it is mine and it's, it's not his. So Genesis 4 verse 3 says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord, an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel, his brother, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. How many of you would like to give the Lord your fat portions this morning? Here it is, God. It's yours. Do with it as you will. So, first, best, rest, bless. Cain was a farmer. It says, in the course of time, when, when he felt like it, when he thought it was the right time, not first. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. He brought an offering. He brought of the fruit of the earth in which he farmed. He just brought God an offering. But then we find this contrast. His brother Abel brought not in the course of time, but brought the firstborn of his flock, first. And of their fat portions, the best, the best that there is to eat. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The Lord accepted Abel's offering. He was blessed. But for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. God did not accept, not blessed. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. That's a bad day if your face falls off. He was angry and his face fell. He's frowning. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? God says to Cain, if you do well, won't you be accepted? Essentially what God is saying, if you would have brought what was first, if you would have brought what was best, you'd be blessed. In verse 7, God says, if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Sin's desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over sin. This is confusing, but essentially what God is saying is that not putting God first in our lives, it leads to sin. And in the case of Cain, it led to sin having a foothold in Cain's life. 
doing what is right, putting God first, giving God your best helps us overcome the enemy of sin, which is crouching at our door. And so when, when we don't see our stuff as God's, it gives sin a foothold. But when we trust God and are stewards of what God has entrusted to us, it helps us resist the temptation of sin. So in verse 8, it says, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. That escalated real quick. The first murder. Did you know that the first murder was over literally tithe? The first murder was over money, over stuff. You say, well, it was, it was vegetation and, and sheep, same thing. The first murder, it escalates quickly. And the Lord said to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. If you want to have theological discussion about that afterwards, see me. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. The very thing that Cain saw as his thing, farming, the thing that he held on to and didn't give to God was the very thing God cursed him from when he failed to give it back. That which he thought was mine would always seem out of reach to him. He would never be satisfied because he didn't give God what was his to begin with. First best, rest blessed. Instead, he experienced not first, not best, and the rest literally, in this case, was cursed. And this principle continues again and again and again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. Just a few of those things that happened. Noah, the first thing Noah did when the ark landed on Mount Ararat was he offered up the ark's best as an offering to God. Abraham, upon returning from military victory and rescuing his nephew Lot with the spoils of war, returning with them to what would become the city of Jerusalem, Abram gave to the priest of the Most High God, a tenth of all he had. Isaac, Abraham's son, God asks Abraham to offer up his firstborn, his best son. Abraham does so, only to be stopped by God in the process with a better offering. Jacob, the son of Isaac, Following his dream of the ladder to heaven, Jacob promises that if God was faithful to his promise to him, that he would give God a full tenth of everything that he had. Jericho, after the giving of the law, God told Israel that they were to devote the first city and the best city in the promised land to destruction and collect the best of its treasures within for the construction of God's house, and they didn't do it. Someone kept what was to be stored in God's house in his own house, and the entire nation was not blessed, and it was cursed in their next battle. Again and again and again, this principle, sowing and reaping, first best, rest blessed, shows up again and again and again. And so God codifies this law. God makes this law. He codifies this principle with the nation of Israel in commanding them to follow this principle in a structured manner, officially labeling it, And further, uh, he titles it as this concept of of tithing. It's not a word we use very much, but it literally means a tenth. 
And we find it in Numbers 18, Numbers 27, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 14. But essentially, I think I've got a little infographic. It says this is what Israel brought to the Lord through their tithe. The Israelites were to bring their tithe to God. Now, notice I didn't use the word they were to give their tithe to God. Instead, they were to bring it to God because it already was God's. You can't give something to God that he already has. But instead, you can bring it to him. You can return it to him as an act of trust, surrender, and worship. And so the Israelites were to bring their tithe to God, 10% of their money, their produce, their profit. It was given to fund the priest ministry in God's house. An additional 10% was given to pay for festivals and corporate worship. And an additional, about three and a third percent was given to help the poor. Upwards of 25% of their income returned to God with the tithe. That sounds like taxes. How many of you love paying taxes? How many of you love getting tax returns? How many of you love having to pay more after you do your tax return? So this is a concept, not taxes, because these things didn't pay for roads and security and armies. These things paid for corporate worship and providing for those in need. So centuries after God gave the law to Moses, Solomon, the king, he would validate this principle that we see again and again and again. Proverbs 3, verse 9, Solomon says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty. Then your vats will be bursting with wine. First, best, rest, blessed. So not only does God set this principle up for us, not only does God command this of Israel, he actually tells them to, don't believe me, just watch. He tells them, If you don't believe me, test me. He actually tells Israel to test him in this thing. Deuteronomy 6.16 actually says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. That was one of the things that the devil tempted Jesus with in the wilderness. And Jesus quotes, The law says, Don't put your Lord your God to the test. But here God himself gives an exception. We find it in the book of Malachi, and Malachi is God's prophetic word against the nation of Judah, the the southern part of Israel, against Judah for their disobedience to God. Disobedience on many things. They had returned from Babylon. They'd returned from exile. This book happens around 4 to 300 B.C. Judah's falling apart. Worship was not taking place in the temple as it was intended to be. And so we're going to pick up in verse 7 of chapter 3. God says to Judah, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. God says, Ladina didn't know I was going to talk about this. She came up and just gave a prophetic word to you. God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And the people of Judah say, how will we return to you? God is very good at answering questions that we don't ask. So they say, how will we return? And God says, oh, I will answer the question with a question. Will man rob God? Like, that's not what we asked. Oh, hold on. Will man rob God? Yet, you are robbing me. 
God answers. How do we return? And God says, if you want to return, stop stealing from me. Malachi 3, verse 8. But you say, how have we robbed you? It's a good question. How do you rob God? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you're robbing me and the whole nation of you. You see, Judah had strayed from God by withholding their contribution. And God equates this very thing to stealing from him. And as a result, the whole nation is cursed. God's house, the temple, isn't functioning in order. The Levites weren't doing the work of the ministry as they were supposed to. And manifestations of God's presence in the temple, they seemed to be absent. And so in verse 10, God says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So God says bringing in the tithe to God's house would be a return to him. Because their treasure would be there, their hearts would be there too. There's that correlation where your treasure is, your heart is. God says, if you want to return to me, start putting your treasure. It doesn't mean money, it means everything. Start putting your treasure back in heaven. Start laying up your treasure in heaven. And when you do, your heart will be there also. And in verse 10 of Malachi 3, it says, thereby... God says, don't believe me, just watch. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And just see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Don't believe me? Test me. Bring the full tithe. And watch as I remove the curse from your nation. Watch as I return to you the blessing. Watch as I meet all of your desires, needs. Watch as I meet all your needs. Things that aren't lasting, will last. Things that you're lacking, I'll provide. Bring me your first and your best. God says, I will bless the rest. God says, when you don't bring me your first and your best, the rest is cursed. That's what the Old Testament has to say about tithing. But good thing this was just a part of the law. And the law... I believe fully, has been fulfilled in Christ. Thankfully, we don't have to tithe anymore, right? Trick question, yes. I'll help you understand in a minute. I will concede, and I already said it, tithing is not a command from God to the New Testament church. But Jesus did affirm it to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were so focused on being religious and in their good behavior that they were even tithing on spices and herbs. It's pretty serious stuff. Oftentimes, people literally will tithe their garden produce to this church because it's their church, and, and I'm like, that's cool. They're literally tithing their produce to God. and we find, It's always cucumbers, by the way. It's like, that, is that all we can grow here? Is that the only thing that's creating a... a a benefit here, like, oh, free cucumbers. God must really love cucumbers. (laughs) And so 
Jesus affirmed and encouraged the Pharisees to tithe, but he was more concerned about their hearts, not their money. He's like, you guys can't tithe and then neglect the real important stuff. You can't tithe but then neglect the poor, neglect the needy, neglect the things that are going on about you. See, tithing is not a direct command for the Christian church. But it is absolutely a principle that carries over into Christianity. You see, like most practices of our newfound faith in Christ, tithing is now grace-centered. It is not law-centered. It is grace-centered. That means that tithing is something that I get to do. It's not something that I have to do to make it into heaven. Tithing is something that God has given me the grace to do in order to walk in the same promises that he gave in Malachi to remove the curse over our finances, to pour out blessings upon us until we have no more need. And so because this was a principle established in the very first family, because this was carried on throughout the Old Testament through the fathers and heroes of our faith, a natural law of sowing and reaping, first, best, rest, blessed, we too should follow this principle in obedience to the one who established it. So here's what this does. Tithing is a way to keep our heart in God's kingdom. To constantly return to him. Because that is where we're laying up our treasure. Tithing keeps us focused on God and his kingdom. It keeps us invested in God's church. It keeps us invested on God's mission. And when we are willing to return some of our things to God, Tithing reminds us that all of it is from him. Tithing reminds us that all of it is his. When we're willing to lay down some of our things, tithing makes it possible to lay down all of our things. I love watching generosity take place. I love seeing people who, who are faithful with their first and their best and that the rest is blessed, and then when they hear of a need, they give freely. They give willingly. They give extravagantly. They give generously. They give sacrificially. It's wonderful. When you know that what you have is God's, when you know that God is your source, and you're willing to worship him through that, when someone comes up and they have a, keyword legitimate need, you can give to them because you know God will provide exactly what you need to keep on giving, Amen. to keep on receiving, to keep on walking in this very blessing. See, tithing compels us to live generously. And again, it is the training wheels for generosity. And because what we give is not ours, we've learned to trust. We've learned to depend on God to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. We've learned that we've been blessed to be a blessing. We've learned that we've received much so that we could actually give more. Luke 6, the words of Jesus, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, 
shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the, be- the measure that you use your things, it will be measured back to you. How many of you grew up in church in the 90s and you knew that song, give and it will come back to you? Pressed down, shaken together, running over. I believe it. We tithe not because we have to, but because it is an act of worship. It is an act of trust. It is an act of surrender. It is an act of stewardship and even obedience to the principle that God has established. And as with most principles that carry over with grace from the Old Testament, as Christians, we're not any longer trying to meet the bare minimum. Instead, we are called to excel in Christ through the empowering of his Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't kill. But I say to you, anyone who looks at his neighbor with hate in his heart has already murdered. Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever lusts after a man or woman in his heart has already committed adultery. Grace actually ups the level, ups the expectation, ups the ante. Grace actually compels us to live more holy than the law kept us locked under. We actually want to excel. And so under the law, Israelites tithed. Under grace, Christians excel. We are called to do more. And that's exactly what the New Testament church did. This is where we'll wrap this up. You see, the New Testament church was not concerned about the obligation of tithing. They were not having arguments over whether or not they needed to continue to tithe now that they were under grace and not the law. Why is that? That's because they were actively, willingly, and cheerfully giving above and beyond. Acts 2.45 says, They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's community. You have a need, I'll meet it. Because they were tithing under the law, they were prepared and empowered to give more under grace. And so Paul gives instructions to the Christian church. Here's how you are to give. Here's how you are to return. And we find that in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 9. We learn this, and this again is in your notes and on the slide here. Our giving as Christians, our giving, or rather I should say our returning, is to be, number one, an act of worship. Is your giving to God or others, is it an act of worship? That's what it's to be. According to the New Testament, our giving is to be collected when the church gathers for worship. Text to give and websites, and that makes it complicated, but I'd encourage you, bring in an offering when the church gathers for worship. Our giving is to be willful. It's not to be under uh, feeling like you are compelled to do it through a command, but instead you are to walk into it and choose to give willingly. Our giving is to be cheerful. I I enjoy, in in my family, looking at um, tax receipts that we get for churches or missionaries or organizations that we have given to over the years and feel like, wow, that was more than we thought. 
let's see if we can do more the next year. It's, it's actually exciting because we knew we'd given cheerfully. Our giving is to be generous. Our giving is to be extravagant, means beyond what's expected. Paul, he, he praised different churches for giving out of not their wealth, but instead giving out of their poverty. You guys gave so much that all of the needs were met. Giving is to supply the needs of the church's functions, and then in particular support those who lead and minister to the church. Paul encourages the church again and again and again, give extravagantly, give willingly, give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. And so if this is what we're called to do as the church, then that means that this principle of tithing is a great place to start. Supporting the church, supporting its mission, giving generously to organizations, and giving generously to those in need as God leads. I'll fill you in on a secret. Oftentimes we say, I only give when God leads me to give. But if we're not giving God our first and our best already, if we're not entrusting him with what we have, typically we're not giving where God's leading because we're not doing what God's asked us to do to begin with. So if you want to give generously, which I want for all of us, we've got to start somewhere, and tithing is a great place to start. So wrapping this up, I believe that as Christians, we ought to be the most generous people there are. I believe that tithing is a principle that should absolutely be a starting point for generosity in the church. And I live my life as if Malachi 3 applies directly to me. That when I fail to return my first and my best, I'm robbing God. And I will not walk in the blessings that he intends for me. So I don't, as a pastor, teach on tithing because the church wants something from you. I don't teach on tithing because... It's easy to teach on. In fact, five minutes before I walked up here, I'm like, God, give me another word to share with this church. <laughs> Honestly, Ladina's like, God put something on my heart to share. I'm like, that's it. That's my out. Go for it. Make it long. <laughs> Lasted like one minute. <laughs> but back in June or May, we sat and we're like, what, what do we speak on for the year? Praying over things that God wanted us to touch on. And... and Giving is something we don't talk about enough. We just don't. And we rarely ever talk about it. And so as we were approaching Christmas, like, oh, let's, let's preach on some Christmas things. And God put on my heart that the Christmas things we were to talk about was giving. Because that's what we do at Christmas. So I teach on tithing. Because I want something for you. I'm supposed to be the pastor of this church. And if I know of a blessing that God promises and I don't teach it to you, that's just stupid. I want you to walk in the blessings of obedient stewardship to God. I want you to be generous with all God allows you to have. 
And now I give a disclaimer. Here's the disclaimer. I have to admit with all of this that these blessings that we're talking about aren't always financial blessings. In fact, they may not be at all. You know who some of the most joyous people are? Do you know who some of the most faithful people are? Yeah, you're right. Do you, do you know who some of the happiest people are? People that don't have money. I was talking with a friend this week, and we kind of were both validating the fact that what we consider to be poor in America is insanely wealthy by the world's terms. And so, if you ever hear a pastor or a church saying, give money so that you can get money, go somewhere else. Because it's not how this works always. But I do have this tension, and I do believe that God says, when I give him my first and my best, the rest will be blessed. And it says, he will pour out a blessing upon me until I have no more need. Most of us check out when we hear the word need. Because what I need and what I want are radically different things. But God promises. And so I'm going to stand on his promise. I'm going to trust in his promise. And I'm going to believe that when I give, it will come back. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, falling into my lap. I am going to live my life as if I believe Malachi 3 is true because it is true. I'm going to live my life as if Jesus' words are true. Where he tells me not to lay up my treasure on earth. But to lay up my treasure in heaven. Not because I'm living for a reward. I do hope to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. To me, to hear the words of my master say, well done, good and faithful servant, is worth a million times more than 10 hundred thousand million billion dollars. That's our goal. That's what we're racing towards. Not money. I don't care if there's mansions in heaven or not. I don't care if I get a crown in heaven. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. But I know that heaven is where Jesus is. And I know that where my treasure is, that's where my heart will be. And, and our heart's desire is to be with Christ. Amen. See, what we have in store for us is far greater than money or materialism. When we are faithful with the little that we have in this world, our master will set us over much in the world to come. Our master will welcome us into the joy that's been prepared for us. Yes, so our stuff is from God. Yes. Our stuff is God's. Yes. We are to be good stewards with it. We are to return the first and the best of what he's given. And then you and I are to live and give generously, Amen. extravagantly as God leads. Ryan, you can have the worship team come on up. If you guys could bow your heads and
going to share a word with you that's much more important than what I just shared as we go into a time of prayer. Here's why I believe this principle is so important. Abel gave his first and his best. Noah gave his first and his best. Abram gave his first and his best. Isaac gave his first and his best. Jacob gave his first and his best. Joshua was supposed to give his first and his best. Solomon talked about giving his first and his best. Malachi tells us to give our first and our best. Here's why I think it's such a big deal. Because in that same book, Malachi, the one about don't believe me, just watch. That one? Do you know what the whole book is about? The whole book is about the failure of us to keep the law and the expectation of the one who was to come and fulfill the law. To live a life free of sin. To die a death that you and I deserve to die for our sins. And to raise again to defeat sin, hell, and death. And so in Malachi, we get this hint. Someone's coming again. Someone's returning again. Return to me, and I'll return to you, Malachi says. And the way that God returned to the people of Judah was through the man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came and he walked into the temple courts. And he was tried and tortured and put to death outside the temple courts. You see, God calls us to give our first and our best because he wants us to know that he gave his first and his best. Who was that? That was literally Jesus. Jesus himself says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God's first, God's best, yet literally God in the flesh. God didn't just give his son in a Trinitarian, biblical worldview, the Son was God. He gave of himself. And that's why Jesus says that there is no greater love than one would have than to lay down their life for their brother. He gave himself. That is the life of a Christian, is to receive the first and the best from God. And as a result, to return our first and our best to him in a word that we call not tithing but worship. How are we worshiping God? How are we giving him our first and our best? The greatest way we can do that is through our devotion to him and through our expression of him to others as we share God's first and best with those that we come into contact with and tell them about what God's given for them. Not because God wants them to give, but God wants to give them something far greater. And so we don't give tithes or offerings or serve our time to receive salvation. Instead, we give one thing to receive salvation, and it's called faith. Would you trust God with your life? Would you trust God with your heart? He gave you his first and his blessed so that you could be blessed. And the saying is more true than any other saying that when we don't give our first and our best by faith back to God for what he's given to us, literally the rest is cursed. We then live under the curse of sin and the law. But God gives more grace so that we can trust in him. 
So if you hear anything today, this is all I care about. The word about tithing was to people who are Christians and to challenge them. But that doesn't matter compared to the word about grace. The grace of God on your life bringing you salvation that you receive in faith. And if you'd say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus and I want to surrender my life to him. I want him to rescue me from sin and death. I want relationship with God. I want God's spirit living within me. I want to live an everlasting life. Whatever that looks like, I just want to be with him. Here's what scripture says. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The important word from Paul is this, not how to give to the church, though that's important. The important word from Paul is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. The important words of Scripture in Acts and in Romans, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you would just turn from you, turn from yourself and turn towards Jesus and in your own words begin to say, that's me today, I want to start a relationship with Christ. Just begin to tell him with your own words, God, I give you my heart. I surrender my life to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. I choose you. I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I choose to serve you. And maybe you say, hey, I, I, I've got my relationship with God. I, I've got it. I trust him. He saved me. I'm his. But there are things in my life I haven't been willing to give. Not money, but just things, whatever it is. I haven't been willing to give up my relationships. I haven't been willing to give up my dreams for my career that might not align with God's vision for my life. I haven't been willing to give up my sexuality. I haven't been willing to give up my health, my body, whatever it is. God's calling each and every one of us to lay something down this Christmas season. And while we're consumed of what gifts we should give or what gifts we'll receive, God wants us as Christians to return to him what's already his. And so what is that in your life? Whether it's money or not, it doesn't matter. Listen. Ask the Spirit to convict. What, God, do you want me to lay down? It might even be a good thing. It might be a good thing that's distracting you from a better thing. What do you need to lay down? What's he calling you to? What leap of faith do you need to take? Would you stand? We're going to pray and sing. God, I thank you for this, this word. God, I thank you for all you've given. And I thank you that it's still yours because, God, I, I don't know what to do with the little I have, and it's, it's good to know it belongs to you. God, may we choose to surrender to you willingly, generously and sacrificially serve those in need. God, would you bless our health today so that we can bring you more praise? Would you bless our relationships so that our heart can be at peace as we bring peace to others? Lord, would you bless our careers and our finances? so that we can not only have our needs met, but so that we too can be a blessing. God, we are yours, and we submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer today, we have some different people of our prayer team up here at the front of our stage as we sing. Please come up for prayer for anything you might need. Um, Tim or Kara Warnock will come and dismiss us here after this song, but um, I'd like to keep this space up here open for prayer after our service.
And again, if, if you've never joined us for our on-ramp lunch, uh, join me right after this service downstairs. But let's begin to sing, worship, praise God, and, and receive prayer one and for another.